Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Hey, this is Christy. And this is Chloe. And this is Eva. And we are three friends who met in graduate school in Boston um, who love food and love talking about how food intersects with faith and theology in our lives. We are now spread across three very different parts of the country, which is exciting. Um, And we're delighted that you have tuned in today. We are especially excited for today's episode. Today we're going to be talking a little bit more with Eva and just featuring and lifting up her life and her story. Um, Eva is an incredible person. There's no other way to put it. She is one of our dear friends who we met um, in Boston. And today we're just going to be talking a bit about what brings her here to join us at the table. She'll be one of our new um our new co-hosts as we have these conversations each week. So she'll be she'll be a new part of our podcast. And just to give a snapshot of who Eva is, uh, Eva uh, grew up in Dallas and one of her favorite memories of food living there were the Texas peaches in the summer. Um, she eventually left Texas for a bit and went to college in Arkansas and then joined an intentional Christian community up in Boston. And she spent time with them for two years before coming to seminary in Boston uh, to pursue uh, ordination in the Methodist Church. So she's now well on her way. She's going to be ordained as a deacon um, this summer in North Texas and lives in Arkansas coming full circle as we talk about time this season and is now at her undergraduate helping students as they discern their own vocations and life passions um, and think about what they want to do with their lives. So it's just incredible to have you here. And we asked a couple couple of um, different questions about what brings joy and delight to Eva's day-to-day life. And she mentioned, of course, waking up to coffee. I mean, there's not much, not much of a better smell in the world. And that, that brings her a little spark of joy each day. And then she, um, she walks to work each day. And that's something else that she really loves to do, um, as well as playing music with her husband. You can find her on the guitar and him with the ukulele playing some folk music. Yeah, and Eva, as we reflect on your beautiful full life, we're so excited that you're here with us um, because you have an amazing story of food, how you fell in love with the food and faith movement, as well as some agricultural roots, if I were to put it that way. Um, So uh, just we want to know sort of how you got started. I know that you had a few internships and and you've sort of grown from there. So we would love to learn more. And maybe even backing up a few steps more. I know you've talked also about um, the impact of your your grandma and her kitchen on your life. So Mm -hmm. wherever you want to start, but I would love to hear all those all those threads. Sure. Well, thank you. And I just want to preface by saying that I'm just so grateful that you have both invited me into this work with you and 
Um, food is probably my favorite thing to not only consume, <laughs> but to talk about and learn about um, and be in conversation about. So I'm just really grateful to be here. Um, yeah, so I mean, as I think it is true for most people, food was a really big part of my childhood. Um, and my my dad works as a landscaper and organic gardener um, and didn't do that the whole time while I was a kid, but that certainly like played a role in I think that interest for me and um, for my mom, cooking is very much a form of therapy for her. She's also a minister, um, works full time in a church and um, that's not always an easy job or stress-free job, as we all know. And um, so grew up with a lot of like really delicious kind of homegrown food. And um, yeah, and then my, my grandmother lived across the street from us for many years. And it was in her kitchen that I really played with and experimented with. Um, I would often play play restaurant <laughs> and... Uh, her sister, my great aunt, would come and spend several weeks there in the summer, and she would, you know, order French fries or something off of my menu that I'd created, and I would attempt to make French fries, so which usually meant like sticking a potato in the microwave for <laughs> maybe two minutes, and then like trying to cut it up and give it to her, um, and just experimenting with smoothies and also a lot of the foods that my parents weren't big on me eating were always at grandma's house so that's where I stocked up on my my snack wells cookies and my club crackers <laughs> um yeah so it just just played a really big role in my life and but didn't really start to think about food as a just an important formative thing until I was in college I would say um and so I was, I was part of the church growing up, and my mom joined the ministry when I was about 10. Mm-hmm. Um, really didn't go to church as a young kid. I mean, my mom was sort of working through some of her theological conundrums with the church she'd grown up in, which was a very conservative Southern Baptist community and um, wasn't receptive to her going into the ministry. Um, the church became a really important part of my life from about age 10 up. Um, but I really didn't start weaving together this idea of being part of a faith community and like a growing interest in kind of justice and social action um, until I got to college. And I took a class, a sociology class called Food, Culture, and Nature. Um, and it was probably like the most formative class I took in college. Um, it was all about how food is this really powerful kind of nexus is the word I like to use, like this just really powerful connection of community and culture and kind of social, the social fabric that we do three times a day, Um, but also like a really powerful political thing and environmental. And so my mind just like exploded um, during this class and we read things like Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma and learned about some of the problems with our industrial agricultural system and yeah so that was when I sort of took on like food is food is my thing like that was sort of when it became like a big part of my identity Um, and I did an internship with something called the Delta Garden Study um, and they were measuring sort of the health 
benefits of school gardens on elementary age kids. And, and a lot of the kids that I worked with had never experienced what it's like to grow lettuce or what a vine ripened tomato really looks like. Um, so that was just a really, that was a really impactful thing for me. Um, and it, it has really just sort of taken on deeper roots. Um, and I've, I've kind of learned to look at food through different lenses um, throughout the years. But I would say like the real roots, I mean, are in my childhood, but then through some of this exploration in college. So you find yourself back at Hendrix. Can you tell us what you do there? Yeah, so I'm the program coordinator for a new thing called the Center for Calling and Christian Leadership, which was created in part by J.J. Whitney. She's the chaplain at Hendrix, and she was my campus minister when I was there. She, along with Wayne Clark, who's no longer there, but they were very, very big mentors for me during my time there. Yeah, and she has a close relationship with the United Methodist Foundation of Arkansas, and they've been doing a lot of intentional work about thinking about how do we, I mean, the language we're using is like develop a culture of call. Um, So really thinking about call, not just in an explicit like pursuing ordination, although that's a big part of what we're doing, but thinking about um, how we're all called and all have passions and gifts um, and that that can take on a lot of different shapes and Yeah, so I help develop programs and um, trips and retreats and other ways of supporting young folks who are thinking about ministry and thinking about what it means to have a vocation. So I I really love it. Um, A lot of the students that I work with are asking very similar questions that I asked when I was 18, 19, 20, um, and still ask, especially about how the church can be a place where we talk about justice and how it connects with sort of our everyday lives and the everyday issues that we're facing as a society. And yeah, so it feels, it feels very full circle. It it was not a job I was anticipating at all. I was Mm -hmm. in the middle of a chaplaincy residency at a hospital in Dallas when I got the call and really had to think about it, but it's really been I've just really seen a lot of fruits kind of coming to bear through the relationships I'm forming. So I feel super grateful. What a beautiful call to receive, (laughs) Uh, both literally and and much bigger than that. It seems like you have found your way um, to this place in your life. And I love that right now we can hear the rain in the background um, Mm. from where you're sitting in Arkansas. And I wanted to explore a little bit so you talk about this backdrop of food that's rooted in your childhood and then how it eventually became more and more a part of your identity and has taken different forms throughout the years and and kind of this parallel journey of of your I know your grandma was a minister and then your mom discerned um a call to become a minister when you were around 10 you were saying Mm-hmm. And then sort of your own journey of, of going to Boston and living in an intentional community and asking these big questions in college and then eventually finding yourself at seminary and um, soon to become an, a deacon in the Methodist church. Where do those paths um, overlap for you and where where does food find its way into the heart of your of your life call if it does? Mm. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, I think it's been a really wonderful, I mean, it often very challenging at times in especially going through the ordination process um, to articulate sort of where food, how food for, for me, and I think especially for you two, but for, for others I know, but is not widely accepted, or I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, there's there's often a big leap, I think, for folks between, like, the church or ministry and food. Like, well, where does that fit in? And and for me, the connections are so are so obvious and so deep. And some of that is just because I've been, I've been reading about it and sort of, like, swimming in those waters for years now. But, mm-hmm. but I think at, at my core, for me, it's so deeply linked to ideals and values around um, caring for others around justice um and I I wouldn't have given it that language as a kid I mean I think when I talk about my call story I talk about how you know even though I wasn't going to church I um like I I was just really concerned about like the stray animals in my neighborhood for example and I would like Mm -hmm. sneak some treats from our pantry and like pass them around and I was also really concerned about like preserving and protecting endangered species and I'd I'd write letters to politicians and I remember asking my parents when I was maybe seven or eight like is it possible to be an activist when you grow up Hmm. and and so I sort of had like the kind of justice like public I mean public theology that's obviously not what I would would have called it as a kid but that sort of piece of me and then on on the other side there was this person that loved like the contemplative parts of church. Like I loved quieter services. I loved like Taze style worship. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but which really uses a lot of like chant and just simple Mm -hmm. reading. And so the sort of this bridge between like the inner world of like reflection and self-awareness and learning about myself, but then also like how that intersects with what we're doing for others and um, how we're transforming society and and so when I learned about food, it was sort of this place where, like, both of those came together so deeply. And I think I've just, like, I really latched onto that, and it has just sort of found its way in different different spaces. Um, and I also think, like, so I wrote my, my senior thesis in college on, like, food deserts and sort of what can congregations do to respond to kind of food access issues and... Um, and that continues to be like a strong commitment of mine and like there's been a lot of nuance that's added that's been added to that for me which I think we could talk about in a different episode but yeah I don't I mean I don't don't know if I'm answering your question but it's just sort of um, for me talking about food is this deep link between like such a such a deeply personal and like familial practice and like a very earthy practice like I think it's the most tangible way that we interact with the earth but also has such impacts on the world yeah and I guess as a minister those the link between the kind of inner and outer I think is my biggest interest and the the biggest call I think I have which is part of how I understand myself as a deacon is kind of bridging um I mean, the language we use in the Methodist church is like bridging the church and the world. How can we take what's happening in the world and interpret it for the church and then vice versa? Um, yeah, so I guess food is sort of a, a microcosm of that, or it's a it's an important, really important aspect of that. 
Eva, thank you for that response. I really resonate with you. It can be hard to articulate where food comes into this journey of spirituality, um, especially, I think, in the Western world and even within the Christian tradition specifically, we've mm. tended so much towards the separation of body and spirit. And food is this tangible thing. And even though it's sort of at the heart of the Christian tradition in communion or Eucharist mm. um, with the sharing of bread and wine, uh, which was just this pivotal moment in Jesus's ministry and this way of remembering and coming together in community. Mm. I think that in a lot of ways, food and spirituality has sort of been divorced from one another, um, at least in the Christian mm. tradition. I think uh, you look, I, I do think there's some faith traditions who have been able to preserve and really cultivate the deep connection between the two. Um, so that's that's what this podcast is all about across traditions and um, or whether someone really identifies and lives within a more secular world, how are we bridging kind of the movements of our heart and our passions and our ways of relating to one another um, with the physical world and with food and um, and all of the non-physical components of food that are involved there too. So I think we're really looking at an intersection and are bringing together, just like you're talking mm -hmm. about with the church and the world or um, with the inner and the outer or whatever dichotomies exist. And I think there's so many dichotomies in, in sort of this Western way of looking at things. And so we're trying to play with that and to challenge it and, and to think through it in new ways. Um, so thank you for, for reflecting on your experience. And I, I hear you with that struggle of, of how to talk about it, but I think that's so valuable and I really appreciate that. Mm. Yeah, I'm just, I'm sort of basking in the glow. Like, we have Eva. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Christy, can you share a little amazing. bit about what you were first remember about meeting Eva? Or, or just, I know we all have some stories of our time yeah. together. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of my favorite things about Eva is that she would come to, to class and she would also often come into the community center and she would have just like a bag of lettuce and like three avocados <laughs> and like seven carrots and like 19 cucumbers. <laughs> and she would just make a salad like right there in the community center. <laughs> I am often known for just bringing the raw material. <laughs> so bringing much less a, prep. I remember bringing a blender from my intentional community house of eight people <laughs> to work one day and my boss was like Eva you gotta you gotta make something ahead of time <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love so that. good what about you Chloe <laughs> oh gosh um so Eva uh, gosh were you you were one year ahead of me in the program or two yeah, I think one. Yeah. One. Okay. I just know I always looked up to you as a mentor. Um, mm -hmm. I came into the program and Eva just reminded me today that the first time we met, I think was in the first week of school, the first or second day. And someone told me I needed to meet Eva because I was talking about food and 
gardening and theology and like how am I going to make this work in this program and I want to study all these things and they're like have you met Eva and I was like no so I looked around for Eva and there she was tabling for <laughs> theology which is our club about environmentalism and theology and yeah I just remember her gentle gosh you have like the most grounded presence when you come into a room and um and then from there we Actually, all three of us, uh, Christy and I have often talked about our time together at Simple Church, and Eva was there. Um, that was one of your, if I remember correctly, one of your your worship communities and, and spiritual mm-hmm. practices during parts of seminary. Yes. All three of us were in the choir together. Um, I just remember a lot of coffee dates with Eva uh, where she was sharing with me her own journey of trying to bridge all of these many interests together. And um, so I always felt like you've been a resource and a guide for me. Um, and even our paths now that have sort of touched on on chaplaincy and are asking these questions of how, how we do all the things <laughs> um, that we're yes. passionate about. So those, those are really my memories of Eva. Yeah, I love it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, Eva and I are on similar paths as well. So um, mm-hmm. uh, Eva and I are both looking to be deacons in the United Methodist Church. So we've shared a lot of conversation. We actually have a, a deacon group at um, at the school that we went to. And so we would often sit around a table and like try and figure out, okay, what, mm. how do we, how do we articulate our call? Because so yes. often than not, there's not only sort of a, um, a bias towards, well, you automatically want to, to be a pastor, but there's also a bias towards men being pastors and women being outside of the church in some way shape Mm -hmm. or form so Mm -hmm. I mean working through this gender bias working through our call and being able to articulate it as women in leadership and um and understanding uh where we land so um I've always enjoyed those conversations that that we've gotten to have likewise yeah Well, Eva, thank you so much for joining us. And we are so, 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 so excited um, (laughs) that you will be joining us as a permanent member of our team. So we are so stoked. Yes, I'm thrilled for the insights and the perspective and the outlook you have and how you're going to enrich this podcast. Um, And Eva, we always like, as you might know, to end our episodes with a little bit of conversation um, about food, of course. So I got to ask you, having relocated to Arkansas again, describe to us one of your favorite meals or a favorite dinner that you've had since coming to Arkansas. Arkansas is a great place to have fried catfish. Wow. Um, or just catfish anyway. So I've enjoyed making quite a bit of that since I got here and I mean as is true with a lot of fish it's really versatile to cook with so you can pan fry it you can bread it and slide it in the oven you can I like to just put a little lemon juice and salt and pepper and olive oil and slide it in the oven for 20 minutes or so and Mm. yeah what else so this is not really I haven't experienced this yet since moving back but there is a quirky park so Arkansas is the natural state which I love it's like kind of an underrated state I think but there's a 
I don't know if it's a state park or just a city park, but it's called Toad Suck. And I don't know <laughs> I the history that. of that, but there's a quirky story that goes along with it. But every May, the first weekend of May, there's Toad Suck Days, D-A-Z-E. And it's like a, it's basically like a county fair um, in the town that I live in. And it's just brings together like all sorts of southern food. I mean, anything from like alligator to lots of catfish and so that I feel like that really embodies like Arkansas cuisine so I'm looking forward to that that's amazing (laughs) have you caught a catfish no I've only been fishing once and it was actually a really bad experience because I got sick oh no it was on a boat yeah oh but I'd be open to it well, well, thank you so much, Eva, for joining us. And we cannot wait to make this a nationwide table. So, so excited. Well, thank you. And I'm so excited, too. I really am. Thank you so much for joining us at the table. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think by leaving a rating on iTunes. Or if you have show ideas, comments, or just want to reach us directly, send us an email at fully.yours.podcast at gmail.com. For today's show notes, our blog, and more, be sure to check us out at fullyyourspodcast.com. Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for their generous grant funding of this podcast. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford Martin for producing the original song featured in this podcast. Also to Melody for our gorgeous logo design and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Until next time, we are fully yours.